You're listening to the Connecting with Purpose podcast at Covenant Health with Chris and Daniel, a podcast where Covenant caregivers can connect with executive leaders on healthcare hot topics in the Texas, New Mexico region. Alrighty, we are wrapping up a series. Uh, this is Chris Lancaster. I'm the CEO for the Medical Center. I've got Daniel. This is our uh, podcast, and we, we're doing a four-part series on generational leadership and just kind of differences of generations specific to healthcare. And so, uh, initially, we talked with some leaders and got to know. Uh, we got to know both Andrew and Susan, and we talked about their stories, kind of what's what's made him them who they are, what's kind of helped shape them and define them. Uh, and then specifically, we chose these two because we've got different generations represented. And we had um, we had a, a, a conversation with Jennifer who kind of went through just broadly, okay, what are the different generations out there? How are they loosely defined? What are the general ages? And what are the differences? And so today we want to talk really practically and so Daniel and I have Andrew and Susan back in here, and and what we want to do is kind of see from them what are the challenges that they both face in leading people of different generations on their teams. And so, just just to start here to get us to get us going, um, Jennifer did mention just the different generations, and so uh, good to go back and listen to that if if you hadn't. And so, uh, I'm going to categorize some of these generally, but. Uh, you know, loosely, an older generation has had a, probably a, a better concept, or I shouldn't say better, let's say different, uh, of of patients and uh, specific to like career progression. And there was kind of this idea that I've got to put in my, my time and it was slow and methodical. And of course, you can go back to this idea of even being committed to, to one organization and I'm going to get in there and grow. And certainly that was a lot more common. And, and today with the younger generations, uh, they don't view this like a marathon, a marathon. And it's kind of more like your career is a sprint and you've got almost, some would say, unrealistic ex- expectations about at what point you should be in a different career role uh, as a younger person. And, um, you know, Daniel and I were joking earlier, exchanging that it's, Older generation views this like a marathon. Younger generation is kind of like, hey, this isn't a marathon. This is a sprint. And in fact, you know, maybe if I, maybe I don't even want to run anymore. Maybe, maybe I want to be a, a sprinter and maybe I'm going to just change careers completely. And so it's this just different wide open view almost of what the possibilities are. And, and the younger generations have kind of been trained by their parents of, you know, the world is an oyster, right? You can go do whatever you want. So, Practically, though, when you get into leading in healthcare, I mean, healthcare, uh, like other industries, is a very hierarchical industry. And what I mean by that is you got to kind of put in your put in your time, pay your dues. Uh, a lot of physician practices are structured that way, senior partner type mentality. But even the way we do our scheduling and things of okay, you know, when you start, you you start on the night shift, and then you work in, and then when something opens up, and so. As a leader, how's that changed things for you guys? Is these these challenges, and that's just that's just one example. But what does that look like in managing the expectations of what the different generations bring? And then you got the complexities of healthcare that's kind of been set up that way. That seems immediately at odds with the generation expectations. Any thoughts on that? 
long-winded explanation to an introduction <laughs> to this conversation? I, I have uh, never been a fan, and it's not been my intent to just hire folks into, say, the night shift, because that's the expected thing. You do your dues on the night shift like you were talking about, and then someday you get lucky and you get to move to the day shift. And if it's not where you are, then you're always looking for that day shift job in another another area. I try to stay away from that and put people where the the need is. And part of that reasoning on my part, as skewed as it may be, is I really hesitate to overload one shift or the other with all new people all the time. That, to me, uh, doesn't offer them as much opportunity to learn from the folks that have been there longer in a more timely manner. And you know how it is whenever you're, you're young and you're looking at who gets done quickest and has time to do visiting and have a good time at work. Let me model myself after them, and that might not be the best thing for them to do. So rather than uh, just put everybody on this shift and hope that they can grow enough to move to the other shift, what, one direction or the other, it doesn't matter. And for a long time, people would come as new graduates to the unit, and their expectation was, well, I'm going to work the day shift. And if you don't have one, I'm going to go someplace else. It had nothing to do with the work that they would do or the type of patients they would talk, be taking care of. It was all about, this is my expectation, and you're going to honor that. And that didn't swim very well with me. But we, we would have those conversations and say, well, I, I respect your ambitions, but there's a real progression, and this is very serious stuff here. And it's important that you get a lot of opportunity to grow into the position. And it doesn't matter in this particular unit which shift you work on because we do the same work 24 hours a day. So it, it shouldn't be any different from one shift to the other. And so... It's been a real change in the last, say, five or six years to me to have people come in and say, well, I want, a, I want a night shift job. Well, why is that? I don't think I'm good enough to work the day shift yet. Mm -hmm. Well, it's the same work, but the pace is different. And so I really applaud what's going on in the nursing schools and things like that, that they have listened, I think, to the managers as we've said, you've got to help these folks understand that just because you want it on this shift or that shift doesn't mean that that's the way it's going to be. And for me, it's, it's a, a, I don't know everything about every one of my 60 some odd employees, but I know a lot about each one of them. And I think that it's important to put people in the position where they have the best opportunity to grow and learn, and you have to know what your culture is, and it's definitely different. And so if you have 
like-minded people working the same shift, for example, then all of that comes together and you have a much stronger team. Yeah. What do you think? So I think kind of what you're describing is like these traditional social constructs that, um, you know, I think make maybe an older generation feel safe. Um, and then there's a younger generation that wants to tear these things down because it doesn't 100% make sense to them. And so, you know, we have an opportunity as leaders um, to change how we interact with those people. Um, and kind of alluding to what Susan said, it's like setting the expectation, whether that's even in nursing school um, and and having those conversations and that dialogue um, to help people understand there's a greater good and there's a there's a greater uh, point than just my needs or or the social construct that has been put into place right and so um by being able to have that that conversation and, and explain like hey here's the needs and here's what you have to learn and here's what you uh what what this has to offer you and here's what you have to offer here you know um and really getting people connected back to the calling and less about whatever the the selfish need is and more of like mm-hmm. hey here's what we're called to do and here's this place has got to operate 24 hours a day or here's here's the greater good of what we need to do as a team um and really getting them connected back to their their purpose and their calling and um you know but in the back of your mind knowing hey this is what's important to this person so when i have an opportunity to uh, provide that to them or to you know then then i'm going to do that um and that's scheduling that's you know call that's you know there's there's so many different things that that's applicable to it made you know career advancement you know uh, that looks so much different to everyone right yeah. for some caregivers uh, that looks like hey a promotion in a, a job title but for some caregivers it means hey i want to learn what i have to learn here uh, for this season and then the minute i get an opportunity to learn something different that's exciting to me i'm going to go do that and it's not that hey, I I want to, you know, harm a unit or what have you, but it's it's like that's growth for them, and so understanding where they're at, yeah. um, and you know we we put different generations in boxes, but like Jennifer said, like everyone's still an individual, and so it's it's a matter of knowing and uh, that person, not necessarily super intimately, but just knowing in general, hey, what's important to them, and and what drives them. And so um, I think that's an, an opportunity that we all have as leaders is to get to know our people um, and then look for those opportunities that we have to provide um, what what they're looking for and keep them connected to their purpose and their calling. Yeah, that's obviously one of the challenges for any leader, right, is to balance the needs of the organizations and the patients, but listening to what your, your caregivers' desires are and, and the good ones like you guys know that. Uh, so that when opportunities open up, like you mentioned, you know how to plug folks in and move it in. I think the challenge is for you guys is always communicating back to the 60 or so that you've got so that they can understand it. And uh, the reality that you're you're doing that with 60 people, not not just one. And, and that's the that's the constant struggle. And so you guys know that you believe in it. Communicating all that is always the, the challenge. Um, so uh, another thing I heard you both say um, was was kind of a common theme of you stepping into your 
early leadership roles where you face some uh, some challenges coming in where a department has has done it a particular way. And we always say that that's one of the biggest challenges is is hearing folks say those kind of dreaded words. Well, this is the way that we've always we've done it. Is is that a generational difference of this is the way that we've always done it? Because um, certainly the rate at which things are are changing, things are they appear to be changing faster today. I mean, Susan, would you say that over your career that the rate at which things are changing is faster today than it was when you first started? Oh, absolutely. And uh, maybe even more so in this last 12 months than ever before. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, I think that that speaks a lot to the direction that healthcare is going because it has to meet the needs of the community and and to help serve those folks that really need it. And so we have to be on this constant change. And I know that um, my group as a whole struggles with the rapidity, how rapid things change. And so as, as their, their leader, I try to remind them, no matter what the forum, that, you know, this is the way it is now. And at some point, it's not going to be this way. But you need to trust me to give you the information you need so that we can transition into whatever that change becomes. But the best way to do that is have all the information that I can gather to present to them so that they can hear it. And you don't overload them, or I try not to overload them, with too much information all at once. And that seems to work well with my group. It's, But I do give them the gospel that I know at that moment. And they understand that. That, okay, this is how it is now. When do you think it's going to change, boss? And I say, maybe tomorrow, maybe next year. But you have to trust that I'm going to give you the information that you need and help guide us all through this the best way that I am being given information and guided through it as well. We're in this together. It's not just a dictatorial thing. We have to do it together. And if we all work together, maybe we can come up with a better idea. Nobody's against that, and we can promote that. And you can put another feather in your cap, and you can move on, and you can help us all. What do you think, Andrew? So really, it, it uh, I think when we're talking about this, is it's like communication is key, right? And being able to uh, communicate the, the best you can in that moment and build the trust with your your team um, because there are things that are changing super fast that I'm still learning how to really um, effectively communicate and to um, but still keep us moving in 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 a forward direction right and so um, and I think that's the that's the challenge where you know as things are moving and changing faster getting people ready mentally that, hey, change is going to happen. Um, 
And how do I do that in a way that's caring and kind, empathetic, um, and but we still are able to to move the needle in in different different ways. And so, um, I, I, I'm not a wizard yet. Uh, maybe someday I can uh, be a Glenn Robinson or somebody. But you know, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but you know, where you're, you know. Things are are changing and, and growing and moving so fast, and and um, really just trying to learn how to communicate effectively those changes and anticipate the needs in the future, so that hey, I can start preparing my team today for what is to come, um, and thinking <coughs> about things that might potentially happen in the future. Yeah, one thing I'll say, and then Daniel, I want you to ask ask some questions. Um, I, I always ask Daniel, how do we know that we're something that we've already kind of put in place maybe 40 years ago or something. How, how do we know that that's not already irrelevant? And on our minds, this was a great idea and it's still working. And then we have caregivers underneath us thinking, why are they, why are they still doing it this way? I can't believe these guys are doing it this way. Um, and so one thing I always just try to be intentional of because it's easier to see when someone else has done that. And then we're all questioning like why we're still doing it that way, you know, harder for ourselves. And so what are those, what are those blind spots? And then how do we have like open communication? Cause we've all been on that other side of it. Right. So we don't want to be doing this to other people. And so what does that look like? How do we create awareness of, of where we're doing that to other people? I, I don't have the answer to that either. And I'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure a lot of people listening to this are going, well, you better figure it out, buddy. Cause you're, you're doing it to me all the time. But, um, I, you know, I think that's something we got to be mindful of. So you say, Chris, that, when the winds of change are blowing, are you putting up windmills? Or are you putting up walls? What are you doing? And I, I hear that statement and what I apply in my own management and my own approach is how can I empower the people that are feeling the winds of change the most to want to put up windmills instead of hunker down? Um, now, just in the first, you know, three, five minutes of Susan opening us up, my brain was racing. My stomach had butterflies. I, I was thinking to myself, this is exciting stuff that she's talking about because what you can relate some of those, those little hints of lessons uh, that she was alluding to. I, I love, I love watching football. Uh, I think of two, Totally different coaches, Nick Saban, Cliff Kingsbury. You know, these are two generationally very, very different leaders. And both have been called brilliant minds. Um, I'm a Cardinals fan. I, I might give Cliff a little bit of a hard time right now. But um, Saban is not known for being a touchy-feely coach. He's known for laying it out on the line. And he is probably considered the greatest coach of all time when it comes to college football. You know? Kingsbury is this player's coach and people want to play for him because he inspires them. They want to get the most out of him. And so you're seeing a different group of people or a different, a different wiring of personalities gravitate towards these two different styles of leaders. And, and, um, you know, as I listen to you, you both talk right before we walked in the studio, I said the approach of of leading and and if we go back to our analogy of coaching um is we got to climb this hill am i going to tell you there's a hill in front of you 
and just keep on pushing you. And when you get to the top of the hill, I'm going to say you did it. I knew you could do it. I didn't think you could do it or you didn't think you could do it, but I, I knew you could do it the whole time. I wasn't going to tell you, I was going to, I was going to keep on saying, just keep on going, just keep on doing, don't you give me your best, you know, where another approach could be, Hey, I'm not going to tell you there's a hill here. You know, you don't need to know it's tough. I'm just going to keep on telling you, you got this, you got this, you got this. And, and those similarities, I think what Chris also says is where does, where can we focus on what brings us together, how we're similar rather than the differences. And I think sometimes we look at these differences of you got to be the tough coach, you got to be the player's coach, or you got to be the inspirational leader, you got to be the results driven leader. Uh, and I'm, I'm balanced between all those things. So, um, but the thing that brings us together on the same bridge is that we are believing in the people that we have in front of us and that we are encouraging them. We are promoting them, uh, not always in the touchy feely nice way, but in the, I know you got this, you may want to be on days, but I know you got this on night. So I'm going to have this authentic and accurate conversation. Um, it, it leads me to a statement about professionalism. I, I had a, a guy during the interview asked me what it meant to be professional. And I told him it's about doing the little things. You know, if you're a professional runner, uh, you're going to get into a stance. You're going to really practice on where the weight is distributed on your, your fingers. You're going to get that arm back. No, I don't know anything about running. So I'm making this up. You don't look like a running. To be talking yeah, about exactly. this, but. but you're going to swing that arm to kind of to, to launch out of there and you're going to finish strong. Like it's about you getting in this muscle memory. I do this over and over again. And that old wizard got me, man. He, um, he said, you know, I don't, I don't think that's a bad definition. He said, I, I, I think there's a definition that I've lived by a little differently. And this is where I, I would love for you guys to elaborate. Cause you have to teach this, um, that his definition was somebody calls you because you know more about a problem they're having um, than they do. So they're going to reach out to you and call you and ask you for help. And you're going to evaluate the situation and you're going to do what's in their best interest more than your own best interest. That's what a professional looks like. And he was a physician. So when I heard that, I thought about how many times does somebody call on a doctor and it'd be a lot easier for a doctor to say, the easy thing versus the hard thing or how many times the air conditioner guy that you trust show up and say like, you don't need a whole unit. You just need a double a battery in the back of your, your, uh, thermostat. Right. When these new, uh, employees are joining the organization and you're having to push them into regardless of generation. Cause like at this point it's, it's really about getting these people seeing how, their diversity brings us into uh, uh, a, a really more powerful organization. How do you go about having a conversation of, I'm going to teach you how to do what's in your best interest. So professionally, you will do that for others too. Does that make sense? Like I, I heard Susan, as you were, as you were opening us up, it wasn't about giving you what they expected. They're meeting their expectation that's not what it's, it's about. Like that person, you're, if that's where they live all the time, eventually your expectation's not going to be met. They're going to, they're going to move on no matter what. But if you want someone to really flower and blossom and grow under the opportunities that you create, 
uh, then you have to be able to turn on that light bulb, which is it's about doing what's best for other people, not what's always best for you, that servant approach. So could, what do y'all think about my ramble there? Is, is it making any sense to you? It, maybe it's just me being in my brain and just listening to you speak and going like, wow, there's so much here to unpack. But I, I'd, I'd be curious what your thoughts were. Well, it makes sense to me, but uh, I think everybody has to, as a leader, you have to, uh, and I know there's a term for it, but words are hard today, uh, know yourself enough to know how to relay that to these newer folks that are coming in, the younger generations, the older folks that have been beat up someplace else and they're just looking for a good place to settle in and and do what they know how to do best and but you have to know yourself well enough to be able to guide these folks regardless of what their ultimate direction may be and so they, maybe they don't even know that so what the, what you're moment. saying, I just want to make sure I'm capturing this because I, I really think you're saying something that is so stinking important. If you want to know where you're going, you got to know where you are first, right? And you can't lead anybody, yourself or others, on where you're going if you don't know the here and now and why you're doing what you're doing. And I think that's one of the things that makes being a leader in this particular point in time as difficult as anything else. It's not just about the fact that there are fewer folks wherever to do the same amount of work than there was before. It's not about the numbers. It's having your compass set. And things are in such a, a, a turmoil that, that your poor little compass is just, you know, how it is You're doing you... that to me right now. This is like mind-blowing <laughs> wisdom. Well, there's there's age attached to that too, and it, it's it's not a natural thing. It's uh, when you go through things, then that helps you though in the long run. If you if you can just withstand all of that, because things do get uh, tremendously tense, and at some point. We all go through the same thing that says, I don't know if I can do this anymore. I don't know if I can keep up. How am I going to handle this? And, and more to the point is, how am I going to help direct, lead, guide, comfort, console, all of those things, those, those 60 people that are depending on me to help take care of business so they can do what they do best. And that's why I've always said that my job is not to know all the ins and outs of every little detail that they take care of. My job is to put gas in the tank and air in the tires and help keep the bus rolling and keep the right people on the bus as much as I can. But the, the constant change that we will continue to live through in healthcare is it just it it's mind-boggling but you have to take that step back regroup refresh whatever that means to you and kind of get your 
your own mind wrapped around things or, or your whole group is going to be in a turmoil just like that little compass that's sitting on top of a magnet and it's, it's just twirling. There's so much good stuff in there. Uh, I, so. I'm wondering if some people even know what a compass is. <laughs> you know, it's just, I'm like, it, but to know, that it's point, great. Susan, we talked, um, you know, before we started, you were kind of sharing that you'd seen a, a parody or some sort of commercial where it was a, a younger person kind of proud of themselves for adulting, so to speak, and, and which is a funny term that's, that, that's a, it's a real term out there. But, um, and you're kind of laughing at that going, you know, but they're they're really even not, and they and they think they are, and they're not. So speak to that again, and then let, let's talk about that because there's. Um, I'm, I'm curious in in your perception of that and, and how you see that in today's generation. Well, it's it's probably a highly biased perception. I'll, I'll admit to that because you know uh, I think all of our the way that we're all brought up through the world into the world. And the way that we are educated by our parents, by our environment, by our school teachers, whoever those people are that have an impact on us as we're growing up, make a huge difference in the in the adult that you become. And as generations have changed, the way that that comes about has uh, been pretty obvious to me. I was raised as a, a, not a coal miner's daughter, but an old farmer's daughter. And we worked hard. And we knew what the expectations were. And you knew that times were going to be tough. But if we all pulled together, they weren't nearly as tough as they were. Is You know, if, if you've got an 80-acre patch of weeds to, to get gone, to hoe down so that you can help that crop survive, you don't throw one kid out there and say, you better get this done by Thursday. And we're not going to eat this winter. You take the whole group of five or six kids out there, and mom and dad included, and you just go through, and in a day and a half, you've covered that whole patch. And then you turn around and you look and say, look what you've done. Isn't that beautiful? Good job. And so the days younger, I'm not going to say younger generation, the generations that are coming into the workforces and what have you at this point in time have not been through the, some of those struggles. And that's not a, a knock against their parenting or anything like that. It's because as parents we try to make things better for our the generations that we raise. So we know how hard we worked. We don't want our kids to have to go through that. So in a way, we're helping them. In another way, we're not doing them a lot of justice because we're not giving them that experience. We're not guiding them through those times and saying, look, it's, it's tough, but this is how you get through it. You know, you manage your budgets. You... Uh, Bring in more people to do the job in a quicker amount of time so nobody is overworked or whatever the scenario may be. So as the younger generations come in, their idea of being adult is by far different than it was, you know, 50 years ago. I love it. 
So let's look at this from a couple of different perspectives because what you said is, I mean, it's beautiful. Um, and you certainly outlined a lot of the generational differences that Jennifer went through on how uh, intentionally, unintentionally parents kind of, they want things better for the next generation. And then there's, there's repercussions to that. And I think the challenge of kind of what you described is in a lot of ways, leaders feel like they are having to really prepare their employees for the realities of life. And there's a frustration in that from leaders that are going, look, that's, I'm not trying to parent these people. I just need them to work. And so there's this irony that like, um, and it, like, this is a lot more complicated than just managing a schedule. I feel like I am trying to teach my caregivers responsibility and integrity and some foundational things that seems a lot more complicated than just juggling a work schedule or, or dynamics. And I've heard Simon Sinek say that uh, kind of this reality of, hey, is that really my job? And if leaders view that and they get so frustrated in it that they they take this mentality that that's not my job to teach these people that. You know, my job is to create a functional workplace. It's not to to, to set a compass for people. Um, but the what he goes on to say is is if you don't, someone else will. And that this generation will leave because in a, in a sense, they need it, and they're looking for it. They don't know they're looking for it. But if, if the leader is one that will help guide them in the direction, maybe it's just mm-hmm. the best way for that unit or that area or that job or that company. But if you help mold those folks into what you have the vision of what you want your group to be, then they will come. Maybe they never realize it, but they they start to grow that way, even though they didn't know they were looking for that kind of uh, guidance whenever they came. And they may fight it tooth and nail, as you know, for a period of time, and it nearly drives you both crazy. And then at some point, with enough, you know, hugs and spanks and whatever goes on then you come to this this joint spot where you're both, you know, hey, we made it. Look, look, look what you can do. Didn't I tell you I would help you along the way? Didn't I rearrange your schedule so that you could go to more classes, so that you could learn new skills? Didn't I work with your schedule so that you could accomplish or achieve whatever it is that you thought you wanted? You didn't realize it, but I was kind of nudging you along the way, too. So I get to celebrate with you because you're a success, and you didn't think that you could do it. So good. It's really good. Yeah, I think the, you know, I hate being a young parent. And I hate comparing like the relationship to a parent uh, and child because it's we're all adults here. But but the reality is it's 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 you look at at uh, children who maybe have less structure in the home, right? And while they can go eat candy and stay out till midnight on a regular basis, and 
you know, do whatever they want because they they don't have necessarily a strong structural parent there. Um, you know, in in the moment, those things feel good, right? And but long term, that's not always healthy, right? That's not necessarily doesn't provide that that trust and. Um, they don't have the support at home that they need, right? And so as a, as a parent with structure, as I learned to parent my, my five and my two-year-old, right, trying to provide structure in a healthy way that's um, where they sp- feel supported, where they feel um, that they can trust me as their parent, that when I tell them, don't, don't touch the stove or, you know, we're going here, this is why we got to do this, you know, it's the same kind of a thing. And... Um, what you said, I think sometimes you know the the initial when there's this change and we're trying to to quote unquote parent and guide and direct and provide that structure. Um, there's there's this fighting and this initial uh, resistance, right? Um, but having the courage to keep pushing through that, having the courage to really um, know that on the on the other side of that, there's going to be a healthiness. That and we're gonna we're gonna have built that trust right um, right now you know starting in a new new area new leading trying to build that trust trying to to do those things and so there's there's gonna be times in which it's it's that where we're fighting tooth and nail but at some point you know over time and consistency there's gonna be that trust and that relationship so they know hey we're going in this direction we can trust that you know. My leader's going to be here with me to support me. They have my best interest in mind. They're not trying to hurt me. They're not telling me to come home before midnight because they want to be mean. It's for a reason, you know, because uh, I have school the next day, you know. So there's 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 a lot of correlation there, I think. Um, but but really trying to, as I learned to be a parent and a leader, it's uh, it's very applicable, I think. I, I hear you both talking about the courage it takes to be a leader. Because you don't you don't get to say the easy, comfortable thing all the time. I, I've heard this said so many different ways. You know, embrace the suck, lean into the discomfort. Um, you know, all that kind of stuff. What what I hear is us all agreeing that there are good times that you can celebrate, and there's bad times. And celebrating the good times are actually a little bit easier for us. Hey, look what you did. Look what we did together. I was trying to nudge you, stuff like that. But um, leaning into the discomfortable conversation is a, is a different skill set. Um, you are going to have ups and downs. It's how you deal with those downs. You know, you, gosh, it, it, maybe it was Rocky Balboa. He's like, it's not, it doesn't matter if you get knocked down. It matters how hard you can get hit and then get back up. And that resiliency that, that ability to bounce back, that build, ability to never quit, that ability to instill that into your people is a skill set that, that transcends through the generations. It doesn't matter if it was happening 50 years ago or if you're dealing with COVID right now and not being where you want to be in your career. You got to know how to bounce back. And, um, you know, t- to me, uh, especially as we talk about this generational stuff, I'm going, okay, where can I find, I know there's never going to be a silver bullet, but I might be able to find some themes in this conversation where I go, okay, I can't trust my feelings. I got to look at this situation. I got to say, what is, what is asked of me in this situation? How do I step up? How do I hold myself? 
to the highest level of accountability. How do I tell myself where I am right now so I can tell myself where we're going? And can I, in that, convince others to say, yeah, we are here. And that's, that's accurate. We're okay with that. But that's not, we're not comfortable being here. We're going to go get something better. And so I just, I, I love to hear both the, the patience and the wisdom and the wizard that, <laughs> that Susan, uh, you, you just kind of oozes out of you. And Andrew, as we hear about the innovation and the excitement and the connection to people, um, there's, there's multiple ways to get this done. But there's, there's really a, just two ways. You deal with the stinky things. Or you act like they're not there. And if you act like they're not there, you're just going to find them someplace else. So you better learn how to deal with them. They'll still stink. Right. So w- one more question, and then we'll, we'll try to try to land it. But I'm curious, uh, you know, both perspectives are valuable. Both are needed. Daniel gave a great kind of analogy of like a Cliff Kingsbury as a, as a player's coach. And curious, how do you guys – uh, knowing your strengths, knowing your differences, knowing where you are in the generational spectrum, knowing that you're leading folks from a larger generational perspective, how do you how do you balance that? And what what should we do as an organization? Maybe just not even in your departments, but like, what are things practically that you do to offset that? Um, and as an example, not to keep like we're probably losing people in this football analogy, but like Cliff Kingsbury, a player's coach. It's not a good mix, in my opinion, with Kyler Murray, who needs I, he needs he a savings. Yeah. yeah, he needs more structure, right? And so they're struggling. I agree. And so, like, something's got to give there. It's not a good match. And so, I think both uh, are effective as long as you got the right pieces around you. So, if if you know your if you, you got to know yourself, going back to what you said, Susan. But how should that change what we? do as an organization then uh, to to balance that? You were talking about knowing, Daniel, you were talking about uh, knowing which direction are we going and, and you look at your map. Number one thing is you got to make sure your map is true to north because if it's upside down, you're, you're never going to get where you're headed, right? And so from my perspective, and, and I love sports, I'm an old sport fanatic for a long time. But you're talking about coaching and maybe needing a different direction with your quarterback or something. And it's not, they're in trouble because it's not a good match. As the leader of the team, you need to know who makes that better connection than what you're making with them. And you should have those allies out there that. You've coached along the way. They've got the direction straight. and But maybe they have a little better way of uh, connecting with the next player. And so you have to kind of manipulate folks a bit. Influence. I like In, to use the word influence. Influence yeah. is a much yeah. better word than manipulate. <laughs> but it all comes out to the same end, right? Yeah. So... If you uh, influence those around you that you know are, are the strong and they're on the right path and they, they get the big picture, 
but they're also someone who can maybe relate better with the generation than you can, then you let them do it, and you kind of guide them into that role. Then you can sit in your office and you can play tiddlywinks or, <laughs> or, or trash can basketball or whatever it is that you like to entertain yourself with. Yeah, tiddlywinks is showing your generational. <laughs> I realize that. <laughs> but it's a fun game. But, um, you know, you, you surround yourself with good folks and, and you keep your, your troops aligned in the same direction. And then you know which ones are better at whichever part. You have to recognize your own weaknesses. And, you know, I, I have a intolerance for immaturity, best way I know to, to, to say it. And I have other folks that are in line with everything, but they can tolerate that and they can speak to those younger generations that can't quite seem to be adults yet. And guide them along the way because their conversations are different. You keep those those good folks around you, and then you help them do what you need for them to do. And you, you keep them aligned with you. You uh, look for those alliances, and you say, look, I've got this problem, and I'm, I need some help with it, and I think you're the person that can help me out. And this is where I see it going, but I don't know how to help this person get to there. So what are your thoughts? What can you do to help me out? It's a little uh, Susan Sabin stigma <laughs> or, uh, label that I'm on. <laughs> Sabin Stegmiller, what's from you next? You know, um, I, I, I love, I love what you're saying. And, um, you know, hearing strugglers are going to be real. No matter what generation you're in, they're going to be different. You're going to experience them different. You're going to learn different things if you're, you know, de-weeding a, a giant flower bed or if you're dealing with immaturity in the workplace. It, it's going to be there. Um, knowing who you are and who you have to look in the mirror of what you want to represent and where you want to lead yourself as you take on those things uh, or choose to avoid those things. But equally as important is the people you surround yourself with. And if you can surround yourself with people that have like minds and like vision uh, and can buy in to where they are and align with where we're going as an organization, all those pieces become the team. Not just the organization, they become the team. And when the team puts the goal out there and says, hey, this is what we're, this is what we're here to do. Uh, you know, Schroeder talks about a janitor who got interviewed and he said, what are you doing here? He said, I'm putting somebody on the moon. You know, if we can in healthcare say we're, we're making a healthier world, we're making a better place. You know, uh, we are aligning our, that's what we're doing. We're making a better world. You know, I, I, I think that gives everyone their why. And we're all individuals here. Like, like there are certainly things that if you put Chris in the room to solve it versus putting me in the room, it's going to be way wiser um, to put him in than me. And there's other things where it's like, yeah, let's, let's put Daniel in this one. So I, I, I um, have had so much fun listening to uh, both of you 
uh, hearing Jennifer's perspective, you know, having uh, Chris um, help us, you know, tie this together, put a little bow on it and say, like, how did how does this help you reflect? There's not answers here. If you're looking for answers on this podcast, you're you go someplace <laughs> else. We got questions here. And those questions, um, as they come together and help you uh, try to answer them yourself so you can find yourself, that's really what we're, we're trying to do is connect yeah. you with a purpose. And to, to that end, I would say, you know, for leaders that are listening, you've got to be willing to accept that challenge that it, it, it is part of my responsibility to help find team members find a purpose and to find their compass. And if you're viewing that as not your job, you're going to be ineffective as leading teams in the future. And and so you better step up and accept that challenge because that's that's part of the expectation for leaders uh, from my standpoint in, in this organization. And then for caregivers as uh, frontline leaders or supervisors or, or maybe just even younger generation, kind of regardless of where you're at, a lot of wisdom in what Susan said in that um, we do hear that this generation is looking for affirmation. Uh, we're not always great at receiving the feedback, though. So there's this irony that I need it, but I don't want it. And it goes back to what Andrew said with his kids about trying to put structure in a home. And so for the younger generation, I would just say, and be be aware of that and that you, that you need it more than what you realize and don't don't fight it as much. And, you know, when Susan's shooting you straight and telling you what's going on, you know, it's a little gut check as to how you receive that. And, and am I, in my view in that is an opportunity to get better or am I just frustrated that she, Susan's telling me what I'm doing wrong. And, and so we've got to be receptive to that. Uh, and, and that goes for any generation, but I think certainly recognizing the, the irony there that uh, this generation uh, lacks in that, and you need somebody to step in. And if you can, if you can get past that initial awkwardness, there's a lot of depth to that in that relationship that you've got in in your unit. That you've got somebody that's taken the time to invest in you, and you ought to be honored and respectful of those that are doing it uh, because they could go the easy route and, and they wouldn't do it and you wouldn't be getting any better and your, and or, your department wouldn't be getting Or any they better. talk about you to others, not directly to you, right? Yeah. When you're getting that feedback, that is such a gift that someone has the courage to look you in the eye and say like, and you called in 47 times last year. That's, that's too many times, you know? Um, or, or you, you, really are not checking off this thing, this, this task that you should be doing. The, the fact that we're telling you is a gift in itself because everybody, it, like a lot of times people won't talk about it. And that the sad thing is, is our culture uh, can lead to, um, Hey, well, go ask your peers. I'm telling you, go ask your peers and your peers don't want to tell you because they don't want to hurt your feelings, but it, it really sets you up for less success in the long run because you're just getting reaffirmed that bad behavior doesn't like lead to excellence. And that's, I think, ultimately what I love about leadership and about what we're talking about is it's really about leaning into those tough times and saying, like, we're going to help you get there. And hopefully you can see that there is a better place than where you are right now. Yeah. 
and, and know your role, know your strengths. Susan did a good job about talking about, um, Hey, this may not be, I may not be the best person to deliver this message. And so I'm going to, I'm going to enlist some other folks. Daniel and I talk about that all the time. Hey, what, what's the best one of us to approach this conversation? How does that align with our, our strengths? And I, and there's a lot of, a lot of good wisdom in that and in, in how that happens. Um, I, you know, to kind of land us cause we're, we're, we're at time here. Um, you know, just zooming out and viewing generational differences as just a larger part of how God's made us all different. And just like, um, body, the, the church body, we all have different skill sets. Uh, we all have different spiritual gifts. Uh, you've got, uh, diversity in the workplace that I, we're, we're going to have Kevin come and talk about that here soon on a podcast. Uh, generational differences is a, is a, is a version of that that I would still say comes back to us needing to have respect and loving people, right? We got to love God, love others, and generational differences can still give you an opportunity to get frustrated with other kinds of people because they're not like us. And so uh, just globally, I would caution folks observe the generational differences is just part of God's design for, for differences and don't get frustrated with that, but just see each individual is, you know, still, um, brothers and sisters in Christ. And how do we respect that and what people are, are bringing? And if you're able to look through that lens, a lot of these just basic frustrations that we have, we, we don't need to make any of them personal and we've got to figure out how to work together because uh, God made us all, and we're all in different phases and times on this earth, but we are still here for the same purpose. And so, Amen, brother. All right. Amen. Hey, thanks for joining us uh, for this uh, several uh, kind of episode longs on generational differences. I hope that you hope that you found it meaningful. I know I did. I learned a lot of um, a lot of nuggets in here, a lot of wisdom, and so we appreciate it. Um, if you've got ideas of things that you want to hear us talk about in the future, I've had several folks uh, catch me in the hall or send me things saying, hey, you guys ought to talk about this. Uh, let us know. That's, that's meaningful. We want to talk about what you guys want to talk about. Otherwise, Daniel will just talk for, you know, hours on end about, about whatever he chooses to. And so That is correct. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you guys for joining us. We appreciate what you do for, uh, for Covenant. Thanks for listening to the Connecting with Purpose podcast at Covenant Health with Chris and Daniel. Be sure to catch our next episode and please share this with your fellow caregivers.